Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Big Footy Podcast Extra. I'm talking today with Erin Riley, a writer and author of the article uh, AFL has a problem with racism, sexism and homophobia that appeared in Fairfax Media on September the 28th. Good afternoon, Erin. Thank you for having me on. No, our, our pleasure. Um, I, I, we'll get straight in. What's your background with uh, in terms of this uh, so I used to work as a sports journalist um, almost 10 years ago now. Before that, I'd done my undergraduate degree in sports history and my honours thesis looked at the growth of AFL in New South Wales before 1982. So I looked at the way um, the VFL, particularly Victorian leagues, but this body, the Australian Football Council, tried to promote the game um, in New South Wales and I taught sports history as part of that as well um, for a couple of years. And then I worked at a football club for a while as well. Okay. So you've got some... Like, this isn't just a one-off thing. You're not just going to the football for a visit and, (laughs) you know... (laughs) You had a bad experience and you're writing about that. I mean, you've got extensive experience in the the field of football. And I, you know, have been to four grand finals. I was attending on a ticket I bought myself. I was not on some kind of journalism pass. I got it because I have a grand final guarantee with my Swans membership that I pay an extra 90 bucks a year for on top of the cost of the ticket. Uh, I usually go down to Melbourne four or five times a year for footy weekends to not just go to Swans games, but to go to lots of other games. I recently joined GWS as a member to get more footy and like, I'm a footy person. Excellent. So you've always been a Swans person, or are you one of these people that turned coat at some point in the past? Um, No, I grew up in Wollongong, grew up in rugby league and cricket, uh, and then kind of discovered the game in my late teens and just completely fell in love with it and became a Swans person because at that time it was the only club that was local to me. But my first love is the game. It's not the Swans. Um, you know, happily go and watch local footy games, Northeast AFL games, the whole deal. Okay. Just bear with me. Okay, you went to the grand final this year between uh, the Swans and Hawthorne, obviously, um, and you so you wrote an article that indicated that you had some uh, yeah you had a bad experience relatively with uh, Hawthorne supporters that had uh, infiltrated the area that you were in, um, and we've since received some uh, information that says that they had uh, actually snuck into the area where they weren't supposed to be. But uh, tell tell us about that. Um, look. I'm not going to lie, it was a horrible day to be a Swans fan. Generally, we played terrible football, but there's no sour grapes there. Hawthorne were an incredible team, and that was just some amazing football to watch. In a way, I feel really privileged to see a team that is so much at the top of their game, who was just so dominant and was fantastic start to end, like, top to bottom, the ground, the whole deal. You know what I mean? Sorry, I'm a bit inarticulate today. I've done, yeah, it's been a big week. (laughs) No, I understand. Um, But yeah, end-to-end, phenomenal football. They dominated everywhere. We had maybe two players who would have passed muster, but that was about it. Um, And that was mostly because of Hawthorne's pressure. Like, they were just a great team. So I just really want to clarify, there is no sour grapes there. Um, But there was a large group of of Hawthorne supporters at the back of our bay in the standing room area. It started being 
as quite a small group, but it grew over the day. And as the game went on, they got more and more abusive and said some really nasty things. Um, and aside from it being unnecessary, I found it quite offensive. Um, the way they were talking about women, um, their homophobic remarks and stuff around goods was pretty um, unpleasant. So I went to the security guard, actually I went at half time to security and said, look, I just want to let you guys know we're having, you know, it's not very pleasant. There's been some things said, do you mind just keeping an eye on it? And they said, yep, no, that's fine. And then um, about halfway through the fourth quarter, it got really, really nasty. Um, the people I was there with, everyone was getting quite upset. And I went back to the security guard and said, look, they're making homophobic remarks. They're making these sexist remarks. It's against the terms and conditions of entry. The AFL has a clear policy on removing people from the ground when they do this. Uh, why, like, why are they still here? And the security guard said to me, everyone does it. It's like, there's nothing we can do, which I just knew not to be the case. Um, and another person who'd been in the bay came up and um, had complained and then gone off to complain to someone else, then come back. And she said to me, I complained too. They told me there's nothing they can do. I've got kids here because, of course, you can't pick a family seat at the grand final. You get what you're given. Um, I've got kids here. They're hearing this stuff and they won't stop them. And she was quite upset. Uh, and she since I've since connected with her on Twitter and um, she she can back up this story and she can back up the fact I did, in fact, complain to the security guard. So that's sort of the story of how it all went down. I was really upset when I left the ground, not because of the Swans. You know, I've been to losing grand finals before. It sucks, but it was nothing like this. I've been to games where we played terribly many times. Again, nothing like this. Um, I was really, I just felt like, this game that I love doesn't feel like a place that I'm included. And why should I have to tolerate these kind of slurs in order to go to the football? Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's not a good experience if you're hearing that sort of thing, but I think it's a far cry from what, uh, and again, I, I talked to um, uh, some people about this over the weekend and, and we, we went, we all went to games at Victoria Park and uh, Princess Park back in the day. And there's no, I don't think you can deny that there's been a massive improvement in the way that the crowds behave and that this is not acceptable behaviour by any fans, like, by, by, by any fans' standards as far as I'm aware. Oh, no, let me tell you, um, in the response to this, there's been a lot of people telling me that I just need to harden up, that it's footy, what can I expect, um, all that sort of thing. And I think that that's really served to confirm my point that there are still a, not it's not everyone it's not all men it's not all <laughs> not all men that's a whole Twitter meme but we won't get into that it's not all Hawthorne fans by any any stretch of the imagination I have I was staying with a Hawthorne fan that weekend like I've got plenty of friends who are amazing awesome people who are Hawthorne fans. Um, and this is one of the big issues with I think the way my article's been mischaracterized. It's been implied that I was saying that this was everyone. It's not. It was a group. And if that group had been dealt with by security, I would not have written my piece. It was the fact that I was told there was nothing we could do and everyone does it. That that's the reason I just thought, hang on, there's a problem here. That in, you know, 2014, this can happen and there can be no 
means to to deal with it or that those policies and regulations aren't actually followed through. It does make me wonder. I mean, I, I again, talking to people on the weekend, I've never seen a security guard not act when, when they had the power to do so. I mean, it, it's... Um, and this is a massive generalisation on security guards everywhere, <laughs> but they do tend to um, they do tend to love the power that they have for the most part and won't hesitate to use it. So, this, for you to say that um, the security guard just refused to act, um, either they had instructions not to ro- rock the boat, or it was just lazy. And look, I can point to several other people who were with my group who later complained had the same experience. Um, yeah, this. And that is what triggered this whole thing, that to some at least, this is acceptable behaviour and that then doesn't need to be some sort of recourse to deal with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, I mean, the, the AFL has taken massive steps towards... Uh, with, with, and, and you note this in your article, um, the AFL, uh, you're right, for its part, the AFL has tried to fight racial and homophobic abuse through the racism it stops with me and other campaigns. Um do you, do you actually believe that the AF, uh, the message isn't getting through? I'm not sure if it's the message not getting through or people say, like actively rejecting it. Um, it's difficult to say. But again, the response to my piece and the way people have attacked me for saying what I thought was a fairly mild message. Like, this wasn't acceptable behaviour. Something's not going on here when security don't deal with it. And in future, the AFL needs to do better about making sure that this stuff is dealt with at the ground. Like, that is really the crux of my piece. Yeah. Um, we can get into the bit about the white dudes and sports journalists on TV later because that's something that I'd really like to talk about because... Um, I think that I did not make that point as clearly as I wanted to. It was going to um, come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we can, we'll can we talk about that later. Um, but the, the core message of my piece was that really simple thing, that they can do better. And the vitriol, the abuse, the death threats, rape threats, the whole deal that I've experienced in the last week, I think to me, and that's not just Twitter trolling. This is, you know... This has been a really deeply unpleasant experience to the point that I had to go to the police about one particular person. Um, And I think that serves to reinforce my argument that some people just don't want tolerance in our game. Mm. I'm not... Well, I I moderate a number of forums and I've moderated a number of forums since the advent of the internet came out. And it just... I'm not sure that it's a specific football problem in that regard as so, so much as it is idiots that uh, can't control themselves and these keyboard warriors that you have that will come out and say pretty much anything because there's no accountability on account of their anonymity I can't even say that anonymous nature of the internet people are just coming out and saying whatever they want with no accountability and I don't think it just it, it did like I've seen articles from other people not related to sport where they've been absolutely victimized and you read reports of people committing suicide because of stuff that people have said on on Facebook and I'm just wondering whether that's not so much an AFL problem so much as it is a societal problem. Look, I suspect it's not just a societal problem. I suspect it's a male-dominated interest problem um, because it's disproportionately women who experience this abuse. Um, and look at the Anita Sarkeesian, um, the whole that whole Gamergate thing. It's, it's not a dissimilar... Obviously, it's a much bigger scale, but 
I think when women talk about inclusiveness in male-dominated hobbies, it hits a particular kind of um, kind of nerve. And I mean, lots of other people have said similar things to like publicly said similar things about inclusiveness in football and haven't experienced one one hundredth of the abuse that I have, and disproportionately those people are men. No, fair enough. And it, it's definitely not something that anyone should have to... I'm not condoning it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it, it's absolutely unacceptable. And as a moderator of the Big Footy Forum in particular, we would not, have allow, we would not allow that kind of comment to pass. Yep. And we shouldn't allow that kind of comment to pass because it's not acceptable. Um, that it, being it, said, there were plenty of Big Footy comments questioning my mental health, which is, you know... <laughs> I thought that was pretty unacceptable too. <laughs> No, it's it's I mean, all it's all acceptable. You should never target the person, yeah. ever. Um, it, it's Big Footy operates on a policy where you can you can hit the content of the of the of the post uh, if you don't agree with the, with uh, something you've written, and obviously there was a lot of disagreement. But you can never target the person personally. That's never yeah. acceptable. Um, you can disagree with their article. You can disagree with something they've written, but you can never translate that into a personal insult. Um, and that's not acceptable by big footy standards, and it shouldn't be yeah. acceptable by any standards. You can disagree yeah. with anyone. You can disagree with, you know, go back and argue with, you know, Sun Tzu or any of these philosophers over the years. You can't turn around and say he was an idiot, though. Yep. Um, you, you can have differences of opinion, but you can't translate that into a, into mental attacks and personal attacks and death threats and things like that. There's just things that you can't, you can't do in a civilized society. You shouldn't do, no. but people do it. <laughs> and whether it's male-dominated or not, it's just not acceptable. And I, I appreciate that, and I am, you know, I apologise for anything that you've had to deal with in that regard from uh, from Bigfooty itself. Yeah, obviously, Aaron, this is not an isolated account. There's been a number of articles. Uh, Clementine Ford backed your article up uh, a couple of days after. Uh, an article appeared on The Roar as well uh, that said these sort of things. And Cheryl Crightley wrote another article uh, for Bigfooty on Bigfooty News uh, addressing it as well. It's obviously not an isolated issue. Obviously, there there is a problem here that's more widespread than just, you know, you being a malcontent, as some people have attempted to label you, in a polite way. Um, yep. Just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watering it down a little bit. Yes. But, so, how do we fix the problem? Look, I... And I'm not sure if this was actually in my final piece or just in my draft. I think it needs a top-to-bottom um, approach. I think we need to think about the way diversity generally is part of every part of football. And I think the AFL needs to make a commitment to that. I think that goes beyond theme rounds and policy documents, but it goes to how do we train our security guards to talk about something quite specific to this. But also, how what are our recruitment policies? How are we making sure that... Um, that a diver- like the diversity of football fans and of, of footy itself is represented in appointments in positions of authority. Um, what about media deals? Are we negotiating them in a way that makes K- that has KPIs and around diversity? Because I think that matters. Um, and I think that it's easy to say, oh no, they should just go for the money and whatever. But this is the way the AFL can use its power. This is the way it can use its influence to actually make commitments to diversity that it follows through on. I mean, look, people have said, oh, but Sam Lane's on the Channel 7 coverage, not in the commentary box, and very frequently um, put in a role that I think is beneath her. I think she's a phenomenal journalist and deserves 
a much higher profile role than she has. Um, but, you know, the Fox footy channel does not have a single show hosted by a woman. And it's been that way for a long time. And I think that's just unacceptable. Mm. So what about things like women's round? We talked about this briefly before we started recording. Um, and I talked to this about Cheryl Crietley, uh, with Cheryl Crietley on Friday. And I think you're both on the same page in this, in that you don't think it goes far enough or you don't, you think it's tokenism. Yeah. And I mean, a couple of years ago they had the women's round thing and it was mostly about, you know, mums cutting up oranges and that sort of thing. Um, I think that often women's round can serve to reinforce the position of women in footy um, as uh, the existing position rather than being something that's more aspirational, you know, we should have and we should be working towards a professional women's league um, that should have games broadcast. Um, you know, the one game a year that they have isn't actually on television. Mm. I think that's... And, you know, when I commented on that last year, I had lots of people tell me I was being reverse sexist, which don't even get me started on that. Um, yeah, I think that there's so much we can do, you know... Where are the female CEOs? We have one female chair across the whole league. We lag behind, you know, top ASX 200 companies in terms of diversity on boards and in senior management. It's, they're the real things that reflect diversity. And it's not just women. It's people who are from racial minorities. It's, um, you know, we don't have a single out professional footballer. I find it very difficult to believe there is not a single person who plays professional football who is not straight. Why are they not comfortable? Like, why are they not comfortable to come out? I mean, statistically, the chances of there not being a single non-straight person in the AFL is very, very, very minimal. Um, so what is it? Why aren't we inclusive enough? Hmm. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, and and I think maybe the fact that, I, you know, you still hear this abuse at games and these people aren't thrown out, it's indicative of, of that broader problem. And really, that's what my piece was, was trying to be about. Um, and I get that maybe making the connection between what happens at the game and the broader problems of inclusiveness in football, I didn't make it clearly enough. I wish I had. I, I think there were very valid and important critiques of my piece that really highlighted that and said, hang on, what is this like five white men in the commentary box? What's that got to do with anything? Well, I actually think it has a lot to do with things. I think it's indicative of this culture where anyone who isn't in that majority or not even majority, it's a minority of football fans who are straight white men, but who isn't part of that dominant group, isn't well represented in the way we talk and view football. And I just think that's a real shame because diversity is one of the things footy has going for it. It's one of the things I loved about it. I, I think the moment I fell in love with football wasn't actually the first game I went to. It was when I read this piece about uh, some historical writing about women in Australian rules football in colonial Melbourne. It was written by Rob Hess. It's an incredible article. I can't recommend it enough. Um, and there's this great, great, Thing. I think it was in the Argus or one of the, the early newspapers, an account of women at a football game in, I think it was the 1890s. Sorry, it's been a while since I've read it. 
And they pulled out, and I mean, look, it was in the newspaper, that doesn't mean it's true, but um, they pulled out their hat pins and they chased the umpire down the street screaming, kill him, kill him. And I just loved this image of Victorian women going nuts over the football. Um, And so footy's always had that, and women have always been massively represented in football crowds. And I just don't think we celebrate that enough. You know, another example of of the AFL perhaps paying lip service to diversity was their ad from last year. You know, the one with all the people from around the world seeing footy and suddenly being converted. Um, the, The main piece of advertising ahead of last year's season there was exactly 0.5 seconds of women watching football in that. And they were folding laundry when they were doing so. And I did a frame by frame analysis of it um, because I was just so mortified. And yeah, 0.5 seconds. Uh, they later did a cut that added an extra second. Oh, oh sorry, just women. There were there was a group of um, of a mixed group in one of the Asian countries crowding around a TV. But for the most part, it was men in bars, men in barbershops, men in locker rooms. And I, it was just indicative to me of that. Okay. I want to ask you about booing for a minute. At what point does booing a player become racism? And I'm only asking this because we've had this discussion on the forum recently where like people are booing goods uh, and saying that it's not because he's he's Aboriginal, it's not because of his stance on Aboriginal issues, it's because he dives, or allegedly dives, and... Uh, oh, it, no, can we just make it clear? He hmm, dives. Right. I mean, the, the, so if, Swans if, fans are mortified by the way he dives, but we've got half a dozen players who dive. There are players on every team who dive. So while it's not, perhaps, strictly speaking, the best of sportsmanship, it is kind of traditional to boo players who do things that you kind of disagree with. You, you, is At what point do you cross the line there and say that that's racism? Um, I think with this particular case, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, but I think there's some good, valuable things to think about in this case. The First of all, he's been doing this his whole career. The booing's only really taken off this year after he became Australian of the year. Well, he gets booed for a lot less than he used to. And the booing starts almost immediately at games now. Um, it's very loud. He gets within, you know, five feet of the ball and the booing starts. I fully understand, you know, whether or not I would do it personally, I get, you know, why you would have a boo when someone clearly dives or when, you know, someone does the my head's been chopped off motion that when it clearly wasn't high. It happens. It's part of footy and I get that. Um, but I think the problem or when it becomes an issue is when it's just this disproportional response and whether or not you personally are booing because of that, I think it's impossible to say what the person next to you is booing for. And there, I think it, people have, like, can I just read something? A friend of mine wrote, um, who has this great, great, blog hurlingpeoplenow.tumblr.com that has a draft analysis a trade draft pick swap analysis that's just phenomenal can't recommend it enough Um, but I think he made this really good point that crowds aren't a hive mind people have different thought processes some people are making 
um, nuanced and sophisticated critiques of players exaggerating content and playing for freeze, but they're very foolish if they think everyone else howling is doing likewise. And I think that's the main point, that whether or not you personally are booing goods because of this or whether you're participating in the pantomime or whatever, um, the fact is some people are booing him disproportionately because he's because of racial reasons. And there are a lot of people who I know have said to me, I'm booing him because he called out a 13-year-old girl. Um, that is racist. I'm sorry, that's racist. It's, it's not possible to disagree with the way he handled that particular situation, though? He didn't know it was a 13-year-old girl when he pointed. Mm. I mean, that, I mean that, that's not necessarily a discussion for now, but um, I know that there are segments of the community that disagreed with him pointing out a girl that was sitting on the fence. He would have clearly seen her once he started pointing. He didn't know she was 13, and in any case, should he have to endure that kind of behaviour? No, he, he shouldn't have to, but uh, there are people that would say that he uh, could have handled that slightly differently, and the, I think that's entirely up to uh, personal interpretation. Not that he should be booed for it. And, and no that's stretch. the thing. I think booing him for it is conflating a whole bunch of different issues. No, that's, that's fair enough. I just was wondering where that particular line is, and obviously some people in the crowd are going to boo for their own reasons, Others booing for other reasons, I suppose. I just what what what. Look, if if you if you want to brew a swan for exaggerating contact, boo Kieran Jack, boo um, Ben McGlynn. They exaggerate contact all the time. As I said, every club has people that do it. Sorry, just um, make it, But just... how about this? How about we do an exchange deal? If you want to boo a swan for exaggerated contact, don't boo the Australian of the Year who's made a real effort to call out and talk about racism in sport, boo two other players who do the same or worse um, and somehow never get that attention for doing it. I wonder whether him being appointed Australian of the Year exacerbated the attention that he receives for his diving, though. But why should that be the case? He didn't receive Australian of the Year for playing football. No, but football played a large part in how he got to be Australian of the Year. Look, I'm just... I all. In, in my position here as host of this podcast, I, I'm bringing to you the comments that people are making on the forum. Um, no, and it, I understand them. I it, just don't agree with them. I think that if you're covering whether or not you personally are booing because of racist stuff, that's that's between you and your own conscience. Yeah. Um, but there are people who do boo for racist reasons. Um, and whether or not you think it's the third, booing because of the way he tr behaved, the way he called out that girl was um, is racist or not, I don't think that... Like, that's the line I absolutely consider racist, yep. but I understand that other people don't. Um, if... But even within that, there are people who are booing him for being racist, like, for racist reasons. There are people who are booing him because they think he's racist, which is just a whole different kettle of fish. Um, and... In participating in that booing, you are covering and participating with people who do that. So, like I said, if you don't want to be con considered racist, boo some of our other diving players. And I have made notes as to which players we can boo next year. Yeah, um, oh, seriously, boo McGlynn, <laughs> boo Kieran Jack. There's probably others, but they're two who, like, several times a game, I'm like, guys, really? Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to exaggerate contact? Mm. Like, you know... And, like, every team does it. I just get more irritated when my own team does it than any other team. Well, some people made the point that people boo Lindsay Thomas, not 
not because of any other reason other than he dives, and I mean clearly dives. Yeah, but um, I've been to plenty of games, and like like I said, I go to lots of non-Sydney games a year. The booing of goods is completely disproportionate mm. to that. And then you've got the entire Essendon Football Club um, <laughs> at, at Subiaco in particular. But And yes, I mean, I thought that was deplorable behaviour. Um, but again, that's a one-off. This wasn't a consistent, you know, awful thing. I went to Essendon Games this year and they weren't booed in anywhere near the way Goods, Goods is every match. All right, so just to be clear here, you're not saying it's everyone in the crowd. You're not saying it's a majority of the crowd. No. You're just saying that there are elements in the crowd that perhaps need further education and that the AFL could do more to stamp that out. Absolutely. And like I said, security guard training. Really, like, let's put some... Think about, hang on, how is, how is the training happening? How are we talking about this? Are we sure that our security guards know that it's permissible and, in fact, part of their job to kick people out for this kind of thing? Okay. I just... One of the concerns that people did raise with us was that uh, there was a perception that you were tarring the Hawthorne uh, supporter groups in particular. And uh, I just was just clarifying that you don't think it's everyone. You don't even think it's, you know, you don't even think it's a majority of people. It's just elements in the crowd. No, and again, it wasn't... Um, I didn't say that in my piece. I think that headline um, did at some point in, in some places in the country specifically said AFL and Hawthorne. So Hawthorne people took a bit of umbrage at it. Um, yeah, no, I and in fact I was on 3AW on Tuesday, um, no, maybe it was on Monday, and they asked me about that, and in that interview again, I specifically said it's not Hawthorne fans particularly, it's not like, yes, at the game I was upset and I tweeted saying like, oh, I can't believe how awful this is. Um, but, you know, obviously that was heat of the moment, step back once I thought about it. And in my piece and in all of my subsequent writing and interviews, I've made it very, very clear it wasn't Hawthorne fans. Generally, it was a group of Hawthorne fans. Um, as you mentioned, we've since kind of realised it was this one particular group who are kind of known for being quite vocal and, and who um, had this plan to invade this particular area of the ground, uh, or, you know, of the seating. Um, so yeah, I don't think, obviously this is a very sub, like this is a subset, um, and it's not a typical experience, but it was particularly bad that day. Okay. So that's, that's obviously the, the president incident. How do you see the future? Like, what would you like to see in the future for the AFL to, like, what would you like the AFL to do in the future? Um, I'd like to see diversity put at the heart of what the AFL does. And I know that sounds like, again, kind of a political line, but I think that has some really practical applications. I think thinking about, rather than tacking on diversity as, oh, this is something we do at in certain rounds and at certain times of the year, um, thinking about diversity and inclusiveness in all of its business decisions, I think is really important. So, you know, thinking about hiring practices, thinking about television deals, all other media deals, about um, who it issues press passes to, thinking about how it trains security guards, thinking about how it trains, um, how, and I know that it specifically doesn't train security guards, but put that in its contract with grounds with, so that 
when they then go on and, you know, when the MCG then goes on and hires a security guard or a security company, that that's part of their contract as well. Um, there are a lot of really practical things that can be done that I just am not sure are happening at the moment. There's actually one other thing that I'd love to see um, that just came out of conversations with people. Um, I tried to use the abuse line and had no luck. Um, couldn't It wasn't because I, it was just I couldn't find it because the SEO on the, um, on the actual number itself isn't particularly good. So when you Google it, the first couple of articles don't actually have the number in it. Okay. Um, and the number is unique to the ground. Um, I think a single number for all footy games that fans are then encouraged to save in their phones so that if you do like if you do text them you text them with I'm at this ground at this game sitting here rather than oh I need to have the MCG number and the SCG number and the you know oh I just happened to go to Gold Coast game um, and you know I don't have that number in my phone you know what do I do for Metricon that kind of thing um yeah, so a single crowd abuse light number for the whole ground and working with um, with telecommunications companies to make sure we have better reception at games because I can't tell you how many times I haven't been able to get a bar, haven't been able to... And I was weirdly lucky at the grand final. I had really good reception the whole game, which then led to these weird conspiracy theories that I wasn't actually at the ground and all this stuff. Um, mm. But... Yeah, so working on getting improved uh, coverage around around footy stadiums so that people do have the capacity to call if they need to. I'm given to understand the MCG is undergoing an upgrade of its tele- telecommunication stuff. Glad to hear. And I would think that it would be possible with modern technology and the way phone numbers work locally to uh, have one number for all grounds where you wouldn't even need to tell them what, what stadium you're at. The, uh, the cells would know that straight off the bat. And like I said, there's really low, I hate this phrase, but really low-hanging fruit here. This isn't overly complicated. This is some really simple things that they could do to improve the experience. But instead of saying, oh, hang on, what can we do? A lot of the response has just been defensive or outright defamatory toward me. Mm. Now, we talked uh, before the podcast about uh, Cheryl Crowley's article, and you had some disagreements with that? Yeah, I think that she misrepresented my argument a lot as saying as not saying this isn't a societal problem um of course it is but i think you know i if i go to the movies and someone's making those comments they're going to get kicked out if i go to the grocery store and someone's yelling stuff out they're going to get kicked out there's something specific about football that allows this kind of behavior so we have to think about what are the practical ways we can improve it at the football i understand it's the nature of of organized sport absolutely but the particular context of footy itself means that it poses unique problems and so we need unique solutions the afl has made it pretty clear that it does throw people out that uh, do do normally racially abuse people that's why i'm so confused by this security guard that you talk to not uh, not taking any action at all because the afl's policy is specifically to throw people out clubs and that's that's why i was confused too hmm so, and that's why, and like I said, it wasn't one or two. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're like, saying a lot of people yeah. complained, but and that, that's what makes it more confusing. Is I've never known a security guard not to act when he's had the power to do so. So, it's um, I don't I don't know the background of it either, but mm. that that's what happened, and that's why I'm talking about it. 
No, no, and fair enough. And we thank you for coming on. Just finally, how would you? Um, I mean, we talked about uh, women's round being a token, th- a token thing, and I happen to, I fully agree with you. Um, I definitely don't think enough is done there. It has always baffled me that the field of women event that they uh, Melbourne Football Club holds is held on a separate weekend to the field of women's uh, to the women's round as well. Anyway. Um, things are baffled. No. Things baffle me, really. But uh... you know what I'd really love if they could just make jersey like Guernseys that fit women well. Um, that would just be such a huge step <laughs> forward. Like a lot of us have boobs, we've got to fit them in there somehow. If every club could make really well-fitting women's Guernseys, that would just be such a, a step forward for equality. Mm-hmm. Um. So with women's round. What, what's your solution yep. to that? Well, what, what, what should the AFL be doing in terms of I- increasing what it does for women? I mean, it, it has the same, for mine, it has the same problem with Indigenous round or any of these token rounds that it has. They're, they're kind of half-baked attempts to connect with parts of the community and more should be done. How would you address that in terms of women's round in particular? Oh, I'd get rid of themed rounds. I think they're tokenistic gestures that yep. make people think that we're doing something when we're not. Um, aside from anything else, I'm sick of everything being pink. Like, what is it about <laughs> pink? Oh. Um, I, I think I think it was two years ago, Fox Footy for Women's Round decided to rename it Christmas in July. Um, so they just ignored it. And they had one, they had an interview with, um, they had one interview with a woman the whole week across the whole channel, but they just completely ignored Women's Round. And I think, you know, how much how much power does it have when your main broadcast, you know, your channel, the channel that broadcasts footy, obviously other than Seven, um, completely ignores it. And I don't think they would have done that with Indigenous Round or with Multicultural Round. So I found that, I mean, that's from a few years ago, but I thought that was pretty, um, a moment that, actually, to be honest, that probably steeled me to talk about this stuff more. I think that that was just... Yeah, incredibly telling. Um, and have you read the Anna Crean book, Night Games? No. I, the first time I saw it mentioned was, I think, in uh, in in one of the articles that followed yours. Clementine There's a really, Ford, it's it's yeah. a good book about footy. It's worth a read. And again, I understand there are some valid critiques of it, but I'll see if I can find. There's a particular um, section three is called the Winmar Moment. And it talks about women and football and how footy hasn't had that Winmar moment for women. Um, and there's this great bit about the importance of women being everywhere, not just in... Sorry, I'm just trying to find the quote because it's. I think it's quite good. Um, it's, yeah, here it is. Uh, she said, while I understand employing more female support staff helps chip away at the entrenched and blinkered male society and that the presence of professional females can help rehumanize women in the eyes of these young men, it's the absence of females at the two most powerful ends of football that stands out at the top and on the oval. There is a gender imbalance and there is a power imbalance. Without fixing the latter, the former will cons- continue to stink of servitude. And that, to me, just really encapsulates the whole problem that 
there aren't women in these positions of authority. And that isn't to say, you know, people inevitably come back with, oh, affirmative action and all that. I think you can say, hang on, the fact we don't have a single female CEO of a football club hints at a bigger problem rather than saying, oh, you know, there was a woman who was better for this one appointment. I think, I think the notion that among the 19 CEOs of footy, there is, there was, there aren't any women who would be a or 20 when you include, yeah, sorry, 19. Yep. Um, that you can't find a, like there wouldn't be a single woman who would be better for one of those roles. I just find that absurd. So was there anything you wanted to add before we sign off, Erin? There was one particular critique, not critique, comment on my piece that I think kind of summed up what a lot of people had to say that was just, that I felt kind of pulled in all the arguments that were made against me that I thought were unfair. There were certainly arguments I think were very fair, but this particular one, I'm just trying to find it. And I know it had been mentioned on the big footy threads, so it's probably worth a look. Um, first of all, what is your background in either football or journalism? We covered that. Uh, derided all the clickbait article derided all male AFL fans as racist or, and homophobic. I think it's pretty clear I didn't do that. Um, based on your observation of two or three fans at one game, yep, no, wasn't that. Yeah, so I guess um, they were, and then that you know that the backlash against me was because I. Um, did all these things and that other women in footy don't cop similar backlash and I've copped backlash like this before when I've said other things that people have disagreed with so I can tell you it's not just because of this particular piece so I guess they they were the main things I was hoping to cover today because um, like I said there are some really important and valid things that I would have changed and um, comments I'm taking on board I don't think my piece was perfect but I'm glad to have had the opportunity to sort of answer some of those criticisms that I did think were unfair. Okay. No, we and we thank you for the opportunity to have you on and uh, to clarify these issues uh, that have arisen. And obviously, there is much, much more that needs to be done. Um, yeah. So I guess um, that's really all the questions I had for you, Erin. Uh, well, thank you for having me on today. No, it's been a it's been a pleasure, and thank you for coming and making yourself available. Anytime. All right, we will uh, talk to you another time. Sounds good. <laughs>